there are uh, certain occupations, certain lines of work that I could not possibly consider ever being or doing primarily because of the conversation matter that necessarily must come up in that line of work. I can't imagine being a lawyer, right? A criminal defense lawyer may be even worse. Can't imagine being uh, certain kinds of medical doctors. A podiatrist and a proctologist are really high on my list of things I can't imagine doing. You know, as, as a priest, as a as a pastor, I, I've had a lot of things said to me. I've had people talk with me about in confession about sin, and, and I've had people talk with me about physical difficulties or illnesses. I've had really uncomfortable, I would say even awkward conversations because of the very nature of the topic. But you know, one thing I've never had anyone talk to me about. I've never had anyone talk to me in over 10 years now of pastoral ministry and before that ministry during seminary. I've never had anyone ever come to me to talk about money. Never. Not once. I've, I've heard all kinds of different confessions, but I've never heard a confession of greed. According to a 2014 Wells Fargo survey, money tops the list as the most difficult object of conversation. There are some things that you just don't talk about in polite company. Politics and religion, uh, in 2016 definitely being, but even above politics and religion, even above death, money is a thing that people don't talk about. 44% of those who responded to this Wells Fargo survey said that money was the most difficult conversation to have. Second place was death at 38%. It wasn't really even that close. And people tend to respond negatively when money is brought up, like politics and like religion. It's very personal. What do we do with our money is, is a personal thing. It's, uh, religion and politics are bound up in personal thoughts and beliefs, and what I do with my money, how much money I make, becomes a very personal thing for us. When it's brought up in a church context, a worship service context, things get even worse. And people tend to respond. When, when a pastor brings up money or someone brings up money, people tend to respond either by saying, the church just wants to tell me how to spend my money because they want me to tithe more. Or they respond by saying, uh, the church just wants my money. Or they respond by saying, all that preacher ever talks about is money. Now listen, if you find yourself in that line where you think that all that pastor ever talks about is money, I would tell you you need to come to church more. <laughs> because I'll tell you, uh, in 10 years of pastoral ministry, uh, I can tell you, uh, I can count on one hand the number of times I've either heard or given a sermon about money. Jesus talks more about money than he does about sex, but you wouldn't know that from our 2016 American Christian culture. I wonder if perhaps both the preacher's hesitancy to preach about money and, and then the common response about money from people who hear a preaching or a sermon about money, I wonder if that stems from the fact that money is an idol. And any time we have our idols poked, or wobbled a little bit on their pedestals, 
we have a tendency of getting ticked off because it's painful and it's difficult. Well, we're getting ready to launch into four weeks on money. <laughs> I choose to believe. Never mind. Never mind. I won't go there this morning. Maybe next Sunday, but not this morning. Before there was the Geico Gecko, there was Gordon Gecko. And one of the main characters in Oliver Stone's 1987 film, Wall Street, and his 2010 sequel. You see him there projected on the wall, both Gordon Gecko and the Geico Gecko perched on his shoulder. Gordon Gecko is probably Michael Douglas's fam most famous character, and I can guarantee you that Gordon Gecko uh, utters the, the Michael Douglas's most famous line of dialogue from any movie he's ever been a part of. Uh, in one scene, Gecko says, Greed, for lack of a better term, is good. Capturing in that late 80s film, the, he was a corporate raider, Gecko was, and <clears throat> there was a lot of stuff going on with the selling of junk bonds. And, 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 and Gecko, in Oliver Stone's movie, captured well sort of the, 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 the times, the, the culture of the times, the, the drive for money, the drive to consume and to accumulate. And, and probably things haven't changed all that much. It's just now we're in a recession as opposed to, opposed to a boom. <coughs> But if we remove one little letter from this statement, greed is good, if we remove one little letter, we actually reveal a spiritual reality that underscores Gecko's character, and we reveal a spiritual reality that is one of the most significant drivers and dangers of our world today. Greed is God. Now, it would be more accurate, but less catchy, but more accurate to say greed is the worship of a God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, St. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. <clears throat> Notice in that list, I'm going to quaff a drink of water here. Notice in that list of things of the flesh that Paul says, uh, these believers are to put to death. Only one of them is connected to idolatry, and that's covetousness. Covetousness is an insatiable desire. Covetousness is greed. Have you ever had an insatiable desire or seen someone with an insatiable desire? They cannot get enough. <coughs> they just can't get enough. Can't feed enough, can't consume enough, can't accumulate enough. <coughs> Lord have mercy, I have a, something in my throat. It's greed. And greed, according to St. Paul, is idolatry. Idolatry is found in serving and worshiping something of creation, turning something of creation into the ultimate thing. In Romans chapter 1, St. Paul writes about the idolatry as being this exchange, a trade, if you will, where you have the glory of God, the Creator, and you take it and you exchange it for an image of a man or a bird or an animal or some stuff of creation. And rather than worshiping the, the creator, you end up worshiping uh, that which the creator created, the thing. Rather than serving the creator, you actually end up serving the thing that the creator made. Agreed, covetousness is idolatry, the worship and service of money. Very specifically in this particular context, 
The idea of worship and service <coughs> reflects a basic human need. Hang on one second. All right, look at that. I'm going to put both in my mouth. I'm going to put Paul's. I'm going to put a Ricola. I'm under the influence of Dayquil. Who knows what's going to come out of my mouth now? This tendency towards idolatry really reflects a very basic human need, and that's to worship something, the, the need to find meaning and purpose beyond the self to have something transcendent from outside the self drive a person. We will worship and we will serve something. The question is, who will you worship? What will you serve? And we can be greedy for all kinds <coughs> of things. We can lust after all kinds of things. The most common object is money. <coughs> oh, man. <clears throat> all right, here we go. I'm going to sing. You ready? <laughs> the best things in life are free, sang Barrett Strong, and then the Beatles, and then the Rolling Stones, and then Led Zeppelin, and then every other recording album or recording band to ever record an album. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and the bees. I need money. That's what I want. I see some of you singing along. You know the song. <laughs> Humans are worshiping beings. They will serve something. But Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, makes it perfectly clear. When it comes to God and money, you can't have it both ways. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Gordon Gecko had a master and it enslaved him. Uh, Barrett Strong unveils one of the most powerful masters of our day. Money, it's an idol, and greed is idolatry. Now, I've never had someone come to me and confess a greed of money. Partly it is because nobody thinks they're guilty of it. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. A good friend of mine actually serves in that church. And Dr. Keller did a, a Bible study, a, a week or a several week Bible study over the seven deadly sins, and his wife told him, when you get to greed, no one will come. She was right. You talk about pride, people think they have pride, they'll come and hear a Bible study about pride, same with lust, same with uh, gluttony, but when they got to greed, nobody came. In his book about the idols of sex, money, and power, the unholy trinity of our world, Dr. Keller writes, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex yet almost never, no one thinks they are guilty of it. Greed, which is idolatry, the worship of money, is kind of like having spinach in the teeth. You can always see it in someone else, but you can never see it in yourself unless you look in the mirror. Well, how does one know if greed is a sin of idolatrous worship in their lives? How do you know if you're guilty of greed? Well, Jesus offers us a mirror this morning. 
in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus provides a mirror for us by which we can diagnose our idols. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how dark is, or how great is that darkness? <coughs> As you gaze into the mirror, Jesus provides the question must be asked, where is your treasure? <coughs> the treasure reveals the heart. The treasure is revealed through the eyes. The treasure reveals the God you worship. It's easy to understand here, <coughs> laying up treasures on earth, like big houses, nice cars. <coughs> People listening on the podcast think I'm going to be crying because my voice is all broken up. I don't have a big house, a nice car, a robust bank account, so I'm not crying. But <coughs> and that's empty. Laying up treasures, uh, laying up treasures on earth like big houses and nice cars and robust bank accounts, serving the idol of money, of wealth. And these things can, are fun to have. They may be even good to have, but if you worship them, if you serve them, if that is where your treasure lies, you will be left with nothing. Because everything will decay. Jesus points out it's going to decay or it's going to get stolen. You show me a car that lasts, and I'll show you a car that was never really driven. You show me a car uh, in Destin that lives next to the coast, and I'll show you a car with rust on it somewhere. Everything rusts in Destin. I'm amazed at how quickly it happens, in fact. All the pleasures of accumulation, money, cars, houses, economics, uh, economic Growth, uh, comic book collections, libraries, all of these things are susceptible to decay, destruction, and theft. Even if you store something on the cloud, it is susceptible to decay, destruction, or theft. This is an issue of the heart. Where you find your treasure is where your heart is, and your heart will always point toward the God you worship, the God you serve. If you ever bought a stock, uh, uh, say you buy GE for the first time ever, what do you suddenly begin doing on a daily, if not weekly, basis? Watching the stock price for GE. Because your treasure is there. Where is your heart? There. Where are your eyes? There. Where the heart is is where motivation lies. Where your heart is is where your love is. What is that thing where you think, if I can just get this, I will be fulfilled, satisfied, and saved? There's a legitimate uh, sort of phenomenon for Olympic athletes coming out of the Olympics. They have trained for four years to make it to the Olympics. They go to the worldwide stage. Let's say that they actually even win a gold medal. They come out, and then they say, now what? The Olympics, in a sense, the gold medal, in a sense, has become what drives them. It's become this little idol where if I can get this, I'll be fulfilled. If I can just get this, I'll be satisfied. If I can just get this, I'll be saved. I'll have significance. And now that I've got it, what I find out is there's more. This doesn't do anything, really. The same thing with money. 
for Gordon Gecko, for those who share his mindset, the mindset of Barrett Strong, money becomes that thing to which they turn for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for salvation. That's idolatry. A heart focused on the earthly treasures will be revealed through the action of the body, through what their eyes light upon with desire. A heart deceived by the promises of riches will lead directly to darkness and dark actions. That's why St. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Gordon Gecko and his protege Bud Fox went to great lengths in that movie Wall Street to win, to earn money. They trampled on people, stepped on the little guy, destroyed companies and lives so that they could worship their idol and accumulate their stuff. An insatiable desire, he has to do it over and again. And the really unfortunate thing is that, yes, uh, the movie Wall Street is a, a Hollywood movie. There certainly is exaggerations, but it is a reflection of real life because money is a bloodthirsty God. Money is a God that demands blood sacrifice. And those who worship and serve this God sacrifice the lives of their spouses, of their children, and even the very self upon its altar. And then in the end, there's nothing but death. Nothing but decay and destruction. Poet philosopher Lecrae Moore echoes the words of Jesus when he says, You gained the whole world but lost the only thing you own because everything else is a temporary loan. What is it Jesus says? Why would you gain all of these things if you lose your soul? St. Paul points this out when he writes, We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. The true danger in uh, the, the twin dangers of, of idol worship, of worshiping money, is one, it deflects you away from God, the real God, the true God. And then, just when you need it the most, if you've spent your life worshiping the idol of money, it is completely useless and leaves you high and dry. Who do you worship, God or money? You can't serve both. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. And the heartbreaking reality of idolatry is that we are all, as far fallen human beings, susceptible to it. And the worship of money, greed, is just as big as an idol for those who have it and for those who don't have it. For those who have it, to, uh, it becomes something like um, smog in The Hobbit. Smog is this giant dragon who's hoarded gold and just lays upon it, and he devours anybody who comes and tries to take it. That's worshiping gold and idols. For those who don't have it, the desire to get it becomes the drive. That's serving a God. As we heard Etta James sing this morning, you've got to serve somebody. How can we, in the midst of a culture of affluence and accumulation, worship God? The idol of money is not something that can be managed. It isn't something that we can let hang around on our shoulders like a pet gecko. The idol of money must be destroyed, torn down, uprooted, and replaced. The chains that bind us to this idol must be broken. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And for people to worship God the Creator, idols must be replaced by Jesus. Jesus must become the object of our worship and service. 
It is to Jesus that we must turn to be fulfilled, satisfied, and saved. And so it is Jesus who must become the treasure of our hearts. Only when Jesus replaces the idol of money will we truly begin to seek heavenly worship, the incorruptible and indestructible inheritance that is impervious to theft. I sounded a lot better when I didn't have a head cold. In a very real sense, we must consistently and constantly be overwhelmed by the glories of Jesus' grace because it far overwhelms and outlasts any glory you may gain from a fat wallet. A healthy heart, a healthy eye, storing treasures in heaven, that which God desires can be had, but only in, through, and by Jesus as he topples the idols and as he sits upon the thrones of our hearts. (coughs) Then, and only then, when Jesus is king on the throne, everything is changed. Our beliefs, our values, our priorities are changed as our very lives and even our bank accounts come under his reign and his rule. The way we use our money is an act of worship. It is a spiritual issue. When Jesus is the king, when we are freed from slavery to the harsh master of money, then we are free to live generously, recognizing that that we are more than money. We are more than what's in our bank account. We are more than what the shoes that we wear. We are more than the jobs that we have, the cars that we drive, the houses we own. And when Jesus is the king, we recognize that we are to live in dependence upon God, the creator, who cares for his people. It is no accident that immediately after telling his audience that they cannot worship worship both God and money, that they have to choose. It is no accident that Jesus then goes on to point toward God as the giver of all needs. If you look at what he says immediately after this passage to the exact same crowd, starting at verse 25, Jesus calls upon his audience to live in dependence upon God, knowing that God is the one who takes care of even the sparrows. And if God feeds the sparrows, and if God clothes the flowers of the field, what will God do for those for whom he cares deeply, Jesus' argument is. And if, you can, if God can take care of those, can he not take care of you? His argument, Jesus' argument, is don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things, the basic needs of life in this particular context, Jesus talks about food and clothing. All these needs will be added to you as you live in dependence upon God. Not all your greeds, but all your needs. Just as God keeps the birds of the air fed, so he will feed you who are of greater value than the birds. Remember, our actions and our eyes reveal our heart. Our hearts point to that which we treasure. What do you treasure? Within God's family, financial generosity is an action that reveals something about dependence upon God, something about the orientation of the heart and just where the treasure lies. You cannot serve God in money, Jesus says. Which is it? Which will it be? I said this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.